neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 3. Hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. with me tonight, if you will, to the 13th chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 13. We'll go back over some of what we went over the week before. Revelation chapter 13, we'll just pick it up in verse 1. John said, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Uh, This is not some creature that will come up out of the sea during the tribulation period and terrorize the whole world, but this beast is symbolic of the Antichrist. And uh, at this particular point in time of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will be empowered by Satan and all the kingdom of darkness. In the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, under the seventh trumpet judgment, there was war in heaven and Satan was cast out uh, for good. Satan, fallen angels, demon spirits, all of these things... Uh, have access to heaven to present themselves before the Lord and whatever the case. But at the midpoint of the tribulation period, at the time of the seventh trumpet judgment, um, Satan will be cast out. And he knows that he has but a short time. And he's going to empower the Antichrist at this time, unlike any other human being in history. Now, this beast that John saw here in verse 1 had seven heads, and these seven heads represent all of the empires of the past and one that is yet future that will persecute or come against Israel. Now, the ten horns that you see there in that verse represents the ten countries or the ten nations that will come together and form under the Antichrist And those ten countries will make up the seventh head, the one that is to come. And each one of these heads had the name of blasphemy written upon it, simply meaning that Satan was behind each one of these empires that come against Israel. All right, verse 2. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leper, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, 
His mouth was as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The Antichrist will be a culmination of all the empires of the past. Bits and pieces of each empire of the past will be pulled together, and the Antichrist will use tactics used of empires in the past. Uh, if you will, turn to uh, Daniel chapter 7. John gives us the description of this beast, which by and large had the appearance of a leopard. Daniel chapter 7, um, Daniel had some visions of different animals. And through these animals, the Lord was portraying uh, empires that would come that would persecute Israel. Back in Daniel's day, these empires hadn't come to pass yet. But now they have. And in verse 6, Daniel saw a beast that was like a leper. It had four wings of a fowl on the back of it. Now the leper is uh, pretty swift, uh, pretty fast. And this leper had the wings of a fowl on the back of it, which simply means that it was super fast. The only empire of the, fa of the past that moved so fast was the Grecian Empire headed up by Alexander the Great. Many still wonder today how was Alexander the Great able to do what he did. The answer to that question is he had a fallen angel that aided and abetted him, helped him uh, to conquer the world of his day. And uh, we're going to take a look at that a little bit more here in just a few minutes. Uh, but John also saw uh, in verse 2 of Revelation 13 that the beast had the feet of a bear. Now hold your place there in Daniel uh, chapter 7. You see that there in Revelation 13 and 2, it had the feet of a bear. In Daniel 7, verse 5, take a look at what Daniel saw. Daniel said, I beheld another beast, a second like to a bear. It raised itself up on one side, had three ribs in its mouth between the teeth of it. And they said, Thus unto it arise and devour much flesh. The bear was symbolic of the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, which was ferocious toward its enemies. It raised itself up on one side because the Medes were stronger than the Persians. And the three ribs in its mouth uh, is symbolic of the three countries that the Medo-Persian Empire conquered. And Alexander the Great, uh, like I said, conquered the world of his day with lightning speed. The Antichrist will do the same as the Grecian Empire, but also as the Medo-Persian was ferocious toward um, their enemies, the Antichrist will be the same way. No mercy. All right, going back to Revelation 13 and verse 2, I want you to notice that John 
said that this beast had the mouth of a lion. You see that. All right, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 4. You'll see there as well that the first animal that Daniel saw was like a lion with eagle's wings upon the back of it. Now, since this was the first animal that Daniel saw in his vision, it symbolizes the Babylonian empire uh, that was in power at that time in Daniel's day. And the Babylonian empire was headed up by King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, in Daniel chapter 4, we read the story how King Nebuchadnezzar uh, stepped out of his palace, looked at his great empire and said, Oh, look at this great empire that I have built by my own might and my own power. And the Bible says that the moment he uttered those words, he lost his mind. He went insane. Um, they had to put him out in a pasture because he was eating grass like an oxen. And uh, you can read about that in the fourth chapter of Daniel. But King Nebuchadnezzar was speaking great things. Look at what I've done. Look at me. The Antichrist will be a culmination of the Babylonian Empire in that he will have a mouth speaking great things. Speaking great things against God, the things of God, the people of God, and uh, saying, whoa, look at me, look at what I've done, look at what I can do. And uh, let's move on to Revelation 13 and verse 3. Revelation 13 and verse 3. John said, and I saw one of his heads as it were, wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Now, some seem to think that the Antichrist will be assassinated and then raised from the dead. Um, down in verse 14, I think, supports uh, that idea, but not this verse. Because this verse says that one of the heads was wounded. And the heads represent empires of the past. And since this beast, by and large, had the appearance of a leper, we're talking about the fallen angel that aided and abetted Alexander the Great. Uh, I think the biblical evidence is uh, that this fallen angel was locked away in the bottomless pit after Alexander the Great died. If you will, turn to Revelation chapter 17. Uh, I'll give you some proof of that. Uh, Revelation 17. Move down, if you will, to verse 8. Revelation 17, verse 8, The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. And they behold the beast that was and is not and yet is. Now, this can be confusing 
to some people. So give me a minute, if you will, to explain the was and is not and and shall be. Um, at the time that John was writing this, John said there that phrase, the beast that thou sawest was. At the time John was writing this, the fallen angel had already aided and abetted Alexander the Great uh, some 300 years before John ever was born. So when John says here that the beast that was, he's referring to something in the past, okay? And then look at the phrase, and is not. You see that? Means that at the time John was writing this, the fallen angel was locked away in the bottomless pit. And he was not on the scene aiding anyone at that time. But he shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, if you'll look at that particular phrase that John wrote uh, wrote there. He shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and that'll be at a given time in the future to aid and abet the Antichrist at a set point in time. And uh, I think that is the reason, if you'll go back now to Revelation 13 and verse 3, says that this deadly wound was healed. So this fallen angel that helped Alexander the Great was locked up in the bottomless pit when Alexander the Great died. He was not in power at the time that John wrote this. But at some point in time in the future when the Antichrist is on the scene... God will allow this fallen angel to ascend out of the bottomless pit and help the Antichrist uh, to conquer the world at that particular time. That's why it says that the um, deadly wound was healed. And it also says there that all the world wondered after the beast. All right. Verse 4, Revelation 13 and verse 4. And they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with him? Millions are going to idolize and worship this man, not knowing that they are worshiping Satan. How many today idolize people that are not saved? It's going to be the same way when the Antichrist comes on the scene. The Antichrist will be so powerful that no man will want to cross him or be at odds with him. Hence the phrase there, no one will want to make war with him. All right, verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty-two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now how 
will the Antichrist be able to say and do all of these things? Laughter is a powerful thing. If you want to break the ice with a crowd in public speaking, tell a joke. Get them to laugh. I think the Antichrist is going to have a sick sense of humor, a comedian. He's going to be a very charismatic individual. He'll, be, he'll just have a way with words that people will not be able to resist. Just as Jesus was able to preach the word of God and his enemies could not come against him or say anything, even the soldiers when they went to get him one time came back empty-handed and said, never man spake like this man. Remember that? The Antichrist will be so empowered by the powers of hell, he'll be so anointed by Satan that those who follow him will also be anointed to hear what he says and go along with what he says. And he will inspire millions of people all over the world, but his inspiration will be demonic. He'll speak against God, the things of God, the people of God, and God's going to allow this for the last half of the tribulation period. All right, verse 7. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. The phrase there, war with the saints, refers to those who are saved at that time as well as the Jews. You say, well, people are going to get saved during the tribulation period. Most definitely they will. The church is going to be gone. The church will be raptured out. But events and things will be occurring during the tribulation period. People will know that it is God doing these things. You've got to think, we're going to have two witnesses, Enoch and Elijah, We'll be walking the streets of Jerusalem preaching the gospel. We're going to read in chapter 14, I think it is, that there is an angel flying through the heavens preaching the gospel. People are going to get saved. 144,000 Jews are going to get saved during this time period. They're going to be raptured out. And no doubt people are going to know uh, that it is God doing these things. The people are going to be saved, and uh, they're going to have a hard time during the tribulation period, as well as the Jews trying to live for God in whatever the case. Um, because it says there that it was given unto him to make war with the saints. And it says there that uh, it was given, he was given power to overcome them. In other words, many 
Jews and many of those that are saved will die because of the Antichrist at that time. All right, the phrase also says there, latter part of verse 7, power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. This does not mean that he will rule the whole world as some teach. This is a figure of speech. It'll be just like me standing here telling you tonight that when I went to the doctor's office, everybody in the world and his brother was there. Now, there ain't no way in the world that everybody and his brother could fit in the doctor's office. <laughs> There's just no way you could do it. It's a figure of speech. And... uh um, a a whole is put for a part, and it's done in the scriptures. Um, all of you know the Christmas story, Luke two and verse one. The Bible says it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well, Caesar Augustus was not in charge over the whole world. He was only in charge over the Roman Empire. So you have a whole that is put for a part. It's a figure of speech, uh, so to speak. Now let me give you some proof that the Antichrist will not rule the whole world. If you'll flip over to Daniel chapter 11. Daniel chapter 11. Move down to verse 41. Daniel 11, verse 41. He shall enter also into the glorious land. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand. Notice that. These shall escape out of his hand. Even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. So not everyone's going to side with the Antichrist. He's not going to rule and reign the whole world. But he will have a great influence. Very powerful individual. He will have a great influence on the world at that time. All right, let's go to verse 8. Revelation 13, verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. This is the second time that the word worship is used in connection with the Antichrist. They who dwell upon the earth goes a little further than just those who are living on the earth at that time. It's talking about the people on the earth at that time. Their thinking is on the here and now, the temporary, not the eternal, the things of God. Man was created to worship, and everybody is worshiping something. All of those whose names are not written in the book of life have rejected Jesus Christ and are of the spirit of Antichrist. 
They worship the things of Antichrist, which is sin. Simply put, if you ain't for him, you're against him. That's what Jesus said. If you're not for me, then you're against him. So, here's the thing. You're in one or two categories. You're either for Christ or you are anti-Christ. And John said the spirit of Antichrist was already in the world in his, in his day. Now, I want you to look at the latter part of verse 8. I want to touch on a subject here that some of you may or may not agree with. The subject of predestination. It says, whose names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Some use this verse to prove predestination. In other words, uh, before this world was created, God wrote down the names of every individual that would ever be saved. And if those names were not written in the book, then God predestined those people to go to hell. And that is the doctrine of predestination. No, God does not predestine anyone to go to hell. If anything, it's quite the opposite. If you will, turn to Second Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three, move down if you will to verse nine. Second Peter three and nine. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering toward usward, not willing that any should perish. Do you see that? God is not willing that any should perish. He did not step up to the scene in the very beginning before the world was created and say, this one's going to be saved, and I don't like that one, so I'm going to send that one to hell. But it is God's will that all be saved, that none perish, and that all should come to repentance. Now, it is not the names that are predestined. But it is the Lamb that was predestined. If you'll flip back to 1 Peter, I'm going to show you that. It was the Lamb that was predestined. Before God created this world, He knew that He would create this world. He knew He would create man. He knew man would fall. And He knew that man would need a Redeemer. And before all of that even started, Christ was crucified from the foundation of the world. First uh, Peter chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your faint conversation or lifestyle... 
received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Like I said, before God said, let there be light. He knew he would create man. He knew man would fall. He knew that mankind would need a redeemer. And before God said, let there be light, it was established in the mind of God that Jesus Christ would come into the world and die on the cross. Foreordained before the foundation of the world. And he was made manifest in these last times uh, for you and I. All right, Revelation 13, verse 9. We'll close it out. Revelation 13, verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. All the other times that the Lord used this phrase, he followed it up with the saying, let um, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. But if you'll notice, that phraseology is not used here in Revelation 13 in verse 9. Why is that not used? Hear what the Spirit has to say to the churches. The church is not here. The church is gone. So there's another proof of the rapture of the church taking place uh, before any of these events uh, occur. All right, verse 10. He that leadeth in the captivity shall go into captivity. The Antichrist will lead millions into a spiritual captivity of sin. And as the Antichrist goes to hell, so were all of those that follow his leading. Today, right now, if you're not for the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're for the Antichrist. You're in captivity to sin. And your eternal destination will be the lake of fire along with the Antichrist. There's only two places you can be. For Christ or against him. He that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. All of those that side with the Antichrist or fight with him. They're going to find themselves on the wrong end of the sword. That is giving reference to the battle of Armageddon. All of those that side with the Antichrist are going to be gathered together against Israel at the battle of Armageddon at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to fight like he did in the days of old with a sword coming out of his mouth he'll just speak the word and the armies of the antichrist will just die as it says here he that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword i guess if you wanted to put a capital s there on sword the sword of the spirit which is the word of god because at the battle of armageddon jesus is going to speak the word and they're just going to die <laughs> Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. It's going to be a hard time for those who were saved during the tribulation period, and especially Israel, 
as the Antichrist turns against them at the midpoint of the tribulation period. But the saints at that time are encouraged to be patient because the Lord is coming. And they're also encouraged to keep the faith. The faith. Paul used that term over and over again in his writings in the New Testament, the faith. And every time Paul used that term, he was referring to the finished work of Christ. Who Jesus is, the Son of God, and what he did. He died on the cross for all of mankind, and he was raised from the dead three days later. The finished work of Christ. The faith is the only thing that will save them at that time. The faith is the only thing that's going to save us today. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.